Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini, represented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Coles Wicker is back. We're going to break down a bunch of just random stuff that we've seen throughout the course of Feast Week, throughout the course of the early part of the college basketball season. We talked the Maui Invitational. We talked Duke's loss earlier this week uh, on the previous podcast because those were kind of the bigger topics. But this one's going to be more of a grab bag, maybe is the way to put it. Right, Cole? Yeah, a little bit mix and match. Going to go around all the prospects and kind of just throw out names and some observations that we've seen. We of course did the stock up stop stock down, I believe, or some iteration of that in the last podcast. So it's more of like an update of what we've seen. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't think it'll be quite that structured. Um, I'll probably just like ask you at points, Hey, who do you want to talk about? Um, But let's start (laughs) with a couple of guys. So like, maybe it's worth just noting James Wiseman's appeal got denied. Uh, I don't know if we have spoken since Wiseman was suspended for uh, 12 games earlier this month, I guess. Like, what, it was probably 10 days ago. So wh- how do we think this affects things? Like, I feel like it basically doesn't. Uh, he's going to miss, unfortunately, the big Georgia showdown for against Anthony Edwards that I'm certain that NBA scouts were uh, – basically already booked into and now we'll have to change their travel plans uh maybe not because memphis still has a bunch of prospects but uh other than that like i feel like this doesn't really affect much and given that we're going to see james wiseman again this year it's just going to be a situation where wiseman needs to do his um needs to take care of his business against aac competition Pretty much, yeah. I mean, with how ridiculous the NCAA can be, I'm just kind of thankful that we get to see Wiseman at all anymore. Like, honestly, I, I didn't really know what to expect. You could say the rest of the season. That wouldn't have surprised me. I'm very glad with this result. I think he comes back January 12th. Of course, we missed the Georgia game. That's going to be in battles at the rim would have been would have been really informative and also fun to watch. Um, he misses the Tennessee game as well, I believe. So that is... Not great, but I, again, like I with the NCAA and, and some of these rules, like I'm just going to take what I can get back January 12th or whatever it is. I think at least for us, we get to see more of a sample in college, and I'm not going to you know dismiss that. that. That's valuable to me. No, it's very valuable. It's going to be very valuable to scouts. Um, you know, Wiseman's a guy that has been. I don't want to say hit or miss, like he had the big game against South Carolina State to start the year. He was a bit less so as we broke down when they played Oregon, right? So I'll be very interested to see what he looks like whenever he comes back and if he can provide uh, the kind of value that I think he's capable of, uh, especially on the defensive end. And, you know, Cole has been very forthright you know, throughout this process that he's a bit worried about the polish and, you know, I'm not going to sit here and deny it. Like I'm a little bit worried about the polish as well, but you know, we'll, we'll see what he looks like. I'm excited for this. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm keeping an open mind. I just want to see more, honestly, like he's played a little bit better this year than I thought he would defensively based on his high school tape. So the more he shows, and the more convincing that is, the higher I'll be on him. And I think the more certainty NBA scouts will have as well. So it's a win for pretty much everybody. So Tyrese Halliburton, Dropped 25 points, 9 rebounds, and 5 assists against Michigan. Um, I don't know what to do with this. Like, I I don't really know what to do with Halliburton this year in general. Um, The assist numbers are off the charts crazy. I know that analytics models are huge fans of Halliburton. And rightfully so. He is an incredibly intelligent player. He's a great defender, not just a good one. He is a great team defender. Um, and with size at six foot five, as he continues to bulk up, he's going to be able to guard um, at an extremely high level on ball against lead guards, I think. So I'm still at a point where I have him around the 20 area because it, it almost... I worry about the functionality of his handle. I worry about um, the jump shot. Like I've been very clear throughout the process that uh, the jump shot is just not there for me yet. Um, He's shooting 29.6, something like that from three right now. Um, Still not a guy that has been exceptional as a free throw shooter throughout basically any course of his career. Um, Incredible decision maker and a guy that fills in 
interestingly as a rotation player, but like there are people that are going to have him in the top 10. Like there are going to be a lot of people I think that have him in the top 10 and I can't quite get there with him. Yeah, I'm definitely not there at least yet. Um, I haven't watched him since I think the Oregon State game, which he actually showed some interesting flashes. Like that's probably the cleanest pull up that I've ever seen from him. I think it was on like elbow, yep. but it wasn't like highly contested or anything like he, he still struggles to get his shot off when he's really pressured on the ball. And that's what I'm kind of worried about is, is more is how a team utilizes him at the next level. If they put, if they play him as a ball handler in the half court, I don't think he's going to be able to do a lot in those settings as far as creating his own offense. If you, if you play him, if, if you play him to pass and he, and he makes the pass, like that's, that's bad defense. Like you want him to be a scorer in the half court. I want him more off the ball. And why I was kind of intrigued with him there is I feel like he's extended his range, at least in that Oregon state game like he took three or four threes that were just beyond nba three and that's how you can combat these slower mechanics because he he doesn't have the fastest release it's it's very he needs his feet set it's a very deliberate shot but if you can push that to to greater distance and you can spot up from there i think that's where he can make up some ground if he can actually be accurate now that's a huge question mark yeah, I, was, I was gonna say <laughs> <laughs> at least the infrastructure, I can buy that thought process. I'm not sure about the results yet. So that's kind of the thing with him. Like, he's still not getting to the rim at a high rate. Um, we, we know he can pass. Like, this is stuff like he can pass in that. And open court, he's a great hit head passer. He can make pick and roll reads. Um, George Condit, is that right? Like, as a play finisher, has been very good for them this year in that capacity. So he has some options. I do, I do think that a lot of his passes, like, so at least some of them, his teammates don't finish. Even his his assist numbers like do reflect his passing ability. Yeah. They don't reflect necessarily his self gravity ability as a score and like being able to create these passing lanes. But as a decision maker, this guy we know. I mean, he's a high level thinker. He's one of the smartest players in college basketball. It's just what how where, where do you buy him at the next level and what role do you buy him at? But in this class, like he has skills that will get him on the NBA floor if he can make a catch and shoot three. Well, you basically have to play him in the role that Lonzo Ball is playing in New Orleans right now, right? Like, you have to play him next to a Drew Holiday-style lead guard, right? Like, a guy who can play both on and off ball. Um, Halliburton is very similar to Lonzo Ball in a lot of ways. I just think he's a little bit less athletic, which will create issues. Yeah, no, that was my, when we talked last year in the podcast, that was my initial thought was like, this is kind of like a poor man's Lonzo in several respects. Like, I, I just think that's the kind of player and you have to utilize him that way. Like, he's not going to do much damage inside the arc. He's like a ball. He's like a, a chain linker. Like, he makes quick decisions. Like, if you swing in the ball, he'll make a quick read and he'll like pressure the defense. That's what Lonzo's so good at. When he gets the ball in an advantage situation, he makes the defense pay. If it's like a four and three and you kick it to Lonzo, he'll take advantage of that mismatch and, and that rotating defense. That's how I kind of see how Burton is more of like a, a tertiary ball handler. I'm just kind of worried that a team will view him more as a guard because I think that's the biggest problem with some teams is like anybody who's a guard is going to ha- be on the ball. And a lot of these guys just aren't good enough in those situations. They have to be viewed purely as more like situational off ball players in the half court. Yep. Totally agree with all of that. Um, I think that's about all I've got. Like, again, like I, it's not that I'm low, like I have him around like the 20 range. Right now, which is actually a little bit higher than where I had him coming into the year, he's helped himself. Um, I, I do just worry about like the ball skills and what the role is. Uh, so Isaac Okoro is the next guy I want to bring up because we've talked a lot about Okoro on this podcast. I'm going to have Okoro in my lottery to start this uh, to start my big board. Whenever my big board goes live, I haven't quite figured that out yet. Um, he is playing for an Auburn team right now that I think is one of the 10 best teams in the country. Um, He is playing a role for that team, but he's doing it really well. He's one of the best defenders in college basketball already, and you called that from the jump. Uh, He is still not a shooter, but he is efficient in terms of the way he makes decisions. He's efficient in terms of the way that he reverses the ball and plays within a role, and his athleticism allows him to wreak havoc across the floor. Ultimately, like his ability is going to be dependent on where he gets to as a jump shooter. Like he is just going to have to figure out how to shoot the ball at some point. But yeah, I mean, like he's just a guy that helps you win games, I think, at the end of the day. 100%. The jump shot is going to be the huge you know, swing skill, if you will. I do think some of the touch he's shown on dribble drives is 
positive. Like that's where I'd point to and say like this guy has some touch um, to work with. But I think the mechanics, he has to iron out his lower body and his upper body. If you saw him shoot at the beginning of the year, he had this corner three, I think, in the first game where it was like a 10 toes shot, which means like you're basically facing the rim. And a lot of coaches teach that at lower levels. Traditionally, problem with that is you can't align your elbow. That's why you see a lot of shooters now. We talked about this in the past, but like tilt your feet, get your elbow more aligned. He's done that a little bit more recently. He's tilted his feet, but he's still not getting that elbow in. And that's what I want to see from him. He's, he actually has this kind of like Mo Bamba summer league shot from Mo Bamba's rookie year where he'll jump to the left now. So I want to see him more on balance on those shots. There's just a lot to work on with his jump shot. Like it, it's not there yet. He's again, you got to align his elbow, get it, get him some consistency in his mechanics and his release. That's going to be a process. And that's probably why he's not going to be as high on NBA boards as he is mine because his shooting inputs thus far have not been overly promising. But there's just so much else there. I mean, there's so much fallback on his defense. You know, he's a great on-ball defender. He's a great off-ball defender. I've loved his passing this year. Like, I've loved his yeah. drive and kick vision for a wing. Like, he makes pretty good decisions. He's incredibly unselfish. Like, that's why I think he's been so efficient in the half-court finishing is because, like, he hits gaps when he needs to to extend and finish, but he also kicks the ball out when, he, when it's not there. And that's something that a lot of younger wings don't have is the ability to make the right decision, get to your spots, make the right play, and he's doing that consistently. Yeah, this is like supercharged Chumo Kiki for them. Like he's just more athletic. He is a better on-ball defender. Chumo was good off-ball, but yes. know, I think Okoro is really good off-ball. He's maybe not quite as good as Chuma, but he's really good. Um, the shooting is obviously not quite there, but like, look, Chuma isn't a guy that like teams sold out on as a shooter. And Okoro, I think, is a better ball handler and better passer. Like th that, his addition directly into that Okiki role is why Auburn is still so good and is still one of, you know, and again, in my opinion, I think they're one of the 10 best teams in the country. Yeah, they have more modern personnel on that team, which I like. And he's kind of like the star, the straw that stirs the drink as a passer sometimes. Like a lot of those guys do force up shots and are not the most unselfish guys as far as making the extra pass. And that's why I think he's added so much to that is he's the guy that will kind of he'll break down the defense at times, whether that's on a cut or like a closeout drive. He'll collapse the defense and he actually will kick it out and get these higher percentage catch and shoot looks. So he, it was a great fit. It was a great choice by him to go to Auburn and, and hopefully Bruce Pearl can really work on his shot development. That's again, what everybody was l looking at coming into the season was how much can this guy improve his perimeter skills? I think what you touched on his handle, not as far as like isolation, but as far as being good enough and control enough to beat guys in space has been good enough for a wing. That's not like an on ball creator type. Like he's going to be more of the NBA will view him more as like a very tertiary ball handler, like a straight wing. Yep. And I think that's going to help him as far as stationary catch and shoots. Can he play in like a motion system like Utah as far as movement shooting? No. But what I like about him is you can run him off a curl. He can get downhill. He can finish and he can make a play, which, which I think you really need to do as like a modern wing and, one last point on him is like the weak side rim protection for wings, I think is really important that team defense being able to help from the weak side. And he's one of the wings in this class that I, I trust with the most there. Let's move on to Arizona real quick. Uh, <laughs> there might be no one more fun than Nico Mannion in college basketball. Like <laughs> Anthony Edwards, like exploding for a half is great, but like Nico Mannion is just consistently an incredibly fun player to watch. Yes. I mean, his ability to, to rise quickly with his pull up I mean, his shooting is definitely fun to watch. And the passing is def is, is there, too. He's, he's very skilled. I, I think I'm a little lower on his ball handling ability than some seem to be. And I will note just to, to throw the negative out here right from the off. He's gotten to the rim in the half court three times. Like he's really relying on perimeter game and floater touch. He's got good actually pop off of one foot. Everybody saw the dunk at the end of that one game. But like to get to his floater, he actually explodes well off his left foot, which I like because he can kind of get that up over the top. I want to see him get to the rim a little bit more. I want to see his handle. I want to see him more in isolation at times. He has not played in that kind of role thus far, but he's been very good um, as far as making decisions, making reads and shooting the ball in the role and, and kind of the play types that he's been given thus far. Yeah, the bummer is that I was really excited about seeing him potentially play um, like really good teams, right? Like I thought that Providence was really good. Um, 
coming into this year. I thought that Charleston, um, you know, obviously had a chance to be solid. I was hoping they would be on the same side of Arizona's bracket, if not just like flat out play them in the first round. You know, UCF is not quite as good as what they were. Penn, honestly, like is maybe their biggest challenge uh, in this tournament right now. So I'm bummed that we might not get a chance to see uh, Arizona here in the Wooden Legacy event take on like a real genuine contender. Uh, Because I think that, you know, this is a team that I still am... The prospects, I guess, maybe more so than the team, like I'm a little bit questioning of maybe like we're going to get to see them play at Baylor. We're going to get to see them play Gonzaga before they get into the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 is much better. But like before making like grand pronouncements about Zeke Najee being like a first round pick and, (laughs) you know, Josh Green, you know, being who he is. Right. Like I want to see them play a really talented group. No, I'm 100% with that. I want to see guys like Nico as well go against better athletes and see how they create space, how you can get to the rim. Because, again, three times in, what, six or seven games. In comparison, I think Maxi's at, like, 18. And you should be able – even though I think that Nico is getting a lot of hard hedges – uh, when he's playing these teams, like he has to make a read. They're taking the ball out of his hands at times. Like you should still be able to get to spots against lower level competition at a high level. And I'm just a little bit scared that people are going to make the trade comparison just because you want him to be this ultra skilled point guard. He's just not that good. I- I'm sorry. Like he's like you watch Trey against like North Texas in the second game of his college career. And you're like, holy shit. And like, I haven't gotten that feeling from Nico. Like the handling difference is just is very different. The pull-up ability, I will say, like Nico's ability to rise quickly and like get to his shot is, is very impressive to me. Like he's shown that ability thus far consistently. Like his deceleration, he had one move. I, I get all the games mixed up. I've watched them all. But he had one move where he just kind of slammed on the brakes and like completely took this guy out. Like the deceleration and just r- rose right into a pull-up three that was like, that's very translatable to me in early offense, for example. And that's a hard shot to really get down, having that balance. So he's done a lot of impressive things. It's just, you got to kind of wait for the hyperbole to cease a little bit, especially with Zeke too. Like you noted, the true shooting has been incredible. That's not really how I evaluate prospects is looking just at efficiency. You have to give a lot more context to that. How is he getting his baskets? You know what I mean? What's the competition level? And I, I think he still has some questions to answer there. Yeah, totally agree. And like, even more than that, again, you know, we mentioned it on the last podcast, like Zeke has not been good defensively this year around the basket. Like, I want to see him go up against someone like Tristan Clark for Baylor, who will put his ass in the basket because he is like stronger than Zeke Naji appears to be at least. Um, I want to see him against guys like Philip Petrushev. And like, honestly, like, you know, you and I are not huge fans of Nefali Dante, but like Nefali Dante is huge. And could pose problems for Zeke. Like I am, I'm intrigued by those matchups uh, as much as I am intrigued by anything we've seen from uh, Arizona so far. Just because, like, look, like Kofi Coburn, like he's just not. That's not my kind of guy. I guess. Um, Yeah, I'll I'll say my final note on Zeke is I did notice more reactivity defensively as a team defender. And and one of his last two games, again, I can't remember which one it was against, which team. But he was actually like showing some good ability to quickly diagnose the play and and get to the ball. like he wasn't altering the shot, which is what you have to do. Like it's not just about being in the right positions; it's about being able to alter the play. And I didn't see that from him, but it was at least good to see more like team defense acuity. And my last question for you is: like, Where are you at on Josh Green? Because the opinions are kind of a little bit all over the board with him. Uh, my own opinion on Josh Green is schizophrenic. Like, I mean, it's yeah. it's going to be hard for him if he doesn't shoot it. He's shooting twenty five percent from three right now. Um, it, you know, he's doing a good job of distributing, I think, and making good decisions and not trying to do too much. Uh, he's really good out in transition. He's been really good defensively, I think. But it's just hard if you can't shoot the ball. Like, it's really, really hard. Like, to me, like, end of the first round right now. And my follow-up is, how would you compare him right now to Scotty Lewis? Um, I'm probably... Hmm, 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 hmm. I'm probably a little bit more willing to bet on Scotty than I am Josh, if only because of the outlier length. And I think uh, Scotty has a bit more outlier quick twitch. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. Like Scott, some of Scotty's recoveries that he has, like, it, just from an athletic standpoint, are just outrageous, ridiculous. They're like 99th percentile shit for a wing. Like I, I'm with that. I just grouped those two together because I'm not sure about the half court game on offense. I do no, like I think, Josh I think they're like definitely two prospects worth grouping together. Yeah, so similar conceptual idea of half-court offense. I don't know what they do. I, I think both players – I think that Josh is smarter than Scotty as far as making decisions, but both players are very unselfish as passers. Yep. Like Josh has made some really good reads, but I don't know what it adds up to if they can't really shoot the ball. Like both of them can really – they have that quick twitch. Like Josh Green can really move his feet. He can get into stance, and he can mirror you. But he's not huge. Like he's like six. He's more he plays more like a six five and a half guy than like a six eight guy. You know what I mean? Of course, I know his actual height. But I'm just saying for like a wing stop where you want that added size. If he had that, if he was a legit six eight, he would be much more interesting to me because you'd be like, okay, like he can really like change directions. I think he's light in his feet. I love his stance. He's like one of the few wings in this class that really gets in his stance at times. Well, it's funny because it's, you mentioned the same exact thing about Scotty Lewis on the last podcast when we yes. talked about Scotty. Like if he was six seven, six eight, he'd be a lot. More more interesting exactly and i think that's kind of the the downfall to some of this is like i would bet on these guys more if they had those established frames like scotty's pretty slender if he was like if he was built like a coro and that's why i like a coro so much too is like he has that added size development even though he's you know six six but he plays bigger than that and i think both of these guys are more like two guards without the skill of of, of two guard and that they think when you look at it from an nba standpoint those guys, I don't know how well they fare in the league now because the NBA relies so much on you know perimeter creation from your guard spots. If you can't bring that in the half court, like you just have to be at a very specific team setting. Well, you know, let, let's move on. Let's talk about Grant Riller because I brought him up in the context of being at the Wooden Legacy event and not getting a chance to see him, unfortunately. Um, I'm bummed about that, like to be honest. Like I, uh, uh, It doesn't look like he's going to get a chance to play Arizona. He might get a chance to play... Providence, which could be interesting. I believe they play Wake Forest to start, and he'll be the best player on the court um, against Wake Forest. I don't really have a question there. Um, (laughs) Yeah, like Grant is a stud. He is just such a quick twitch, um, explosive finisher around the basket. Like if you look at his finishing numbers last year, they are outlier level good for a guard. Uh, very few guards have the finishing package of skills that uh, Grant Riller does. And and it's because he is so sudden uh, in the way that he just like kind of attacks the basket that it's hard, I think, for opposing players to keep up with him. Like it's just hard for, like he can go directly into the body and draw fouls. He can go directly um, away from you and like create space. Like it's it's very impressive. He made 74.2% of his half-court shots around the basket last season for any player, not just guards, for any player seven foot tall or five foot eight tall. Um, that was in the 98th percentile last year. And like I said, he draws fouls. Like he is just a ridiculously, ridiculously good um, player. Like I, I love it. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think we mentioned that on the preseason pod with him. I guess finishing acumen is elite historically like if you contextualize it if you look at how often he gets to the rim and of course it's lower level competition but his efficiency as well we just don't see prospects like this and this is why i always thought that he should be drafted i think he's more of like a late first guy to me right now like early second you know he's going to be probably available in the second that's kind of what matters more than like a big board i think he's a value play in this class because of the guard depth some of these guys are going to fall and he to me is a really nice pick in that range honestly because you Typically, if this class was shorter in guards, you might see him get moved up a little bit. But right now, there's just too many of them. And I really do feel like he translates really well into NBA space. He's a guy that wins. He can beat you with his handle. He can get to the basket. He has some strength. He has the ability to adjust in midair, adjustment craft at the basket. That's going to be big for him. If he can get that pull up to be any kind of consistent, if he can play off the ball, he's got a kind of a flat shot. That's something that I've noticed with him is like he yep. shoots kind of a tight tightrope. And I'm not sure if I buy the arc, but I think his shooting indicators are good enough to at least bet on in that range. And he's kind of what the modern NBA is right now as far as maybe not in the playoffs because you, you – kind of go through that size and the impact of that on your defense and like the trade-offs there. But in the regular season, he's a guy who can win space matchups and not a lot of guards can do that consistently. And he's one of my better bets to do that in the class. Yeah, no, I I think I agree with that. Ultimately it is going to come down to the shot. But the one thing I do want to mention, he's been a lot better as a distributor this year. 
Um, you know, the last few years he has been more of a, you know, just straight scorer. Like for instance, when Joe Chile was there two years ago, like Joe mostly played the lead. Um, you know, they would initiate a little bit with like Jarrell Brantley there last year in like the high post, but this is like Grant's show now and he's averaging five assists a game. You know, he's turned it over a little bit more, unfortunately, but like he is a really, really, uh, interesting potential lead guard. Yeah, and I have not seen the Central Florida game, I believe, yet, so that's on the docket. I'm probably going to get to that tonight, hopefully, and I heard he was really impressive, at least to start that game. So I'm pretty excited to watch him. I'm pretty excited about him overall. He's one of the guys that I look at in this class and say, I like where he's, I like the value of where it looks like he's going to be drafted at. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, All right, where do you want to go? I'll just offer you the board. Trying to think. Um, we covered most of the guys I was interested in. We, we got to talk about Aaron Neesmith, I think. That's a guy that we both of us brought up pre-podcast. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, he's shooting the ever-loving shit out of the ball. I think <laughs> that, um, you know, getting uh, Jerry Stackhouse there is like a very interesting, honestly, probably better situation for him to show what he's capable of as a prospect. Like, they're running more pro-style sets. Like, they they look more like a competent team than they did at any point last year. Uh, part of the problem with Aaron Neesmith continues to be that, like, I have yet to see much passing acumen there. Like, I have not really even seen much in terms of him, like, making ball reversals or uh, anything resembling kickout passes, right? But if you're shooting 92 three-point attempts per game and making them at a 53% clip and you're six foot six with like a damn near seven foot wingspan and you're 215, 220 pounds, you are an NBA player, basically. Uh, We have to see where the shooting settles. Like, is he a 40% three-point shooter? Is he a 38% three-point shooter? Is he a 42% three-point shooter? I think the shot looks pretty good, but we need to see. And, and like, I am, I'm overall a fan of what I have seen from Neesmith so far this year to the point where, um, while they have played absolutely no one, um, he is still a guy <laughs> that like, I feel pretty comfortable, um, putting into like the bottom of my first round right now. Yeah. And I think the NBA is going to be high on him just with his frame, his length and his ability to shoot the ball. So that's, really important obviously is how the NBA views him that perception and I I wrote a piece about him last year that I never published I think I got like 20 minutes into it and I was like I got kind of cold feet about it and I was like can he do enough else outside of the shooting because he can even shoot off some movement too look at his synergy profile right now it's absolutely ridiculous as far as the shooting efficiency by the way but can he do enough else on the floor to outside of his size build and and shooting prowess and I'm not sold on that yet. I'm not sold on the defense being any kind of impactful, but he does have the tools. He seems to compete reasonably hard. That Vanderbilt team last year was very poor. So I want to see him against better competition. I'm very excited to watch more of him in SEC play. He's going to be one of the targets that I watch probably the most over the next like month or so, hopefully. So I, I get the intrigue. And right now in this class, again, I, I think you can make a very convincing case for him late round one. Another guy that uh, is in the SEC that you are certainly going to watch is Kyra Lewis um, at Alabama. He has been pretty good to start the year. Now, Alabama's, you know, his his shooting and scoring numbers are just going to be inflated this year because Alabama runs more than, I think, all but one team in college basketball. So the fact that, like, Kyra Lewis is averaging, I want to say it's like, uh, 18 points. It, no, no, no. It's 21 and a half points, six and a half rebounds and five assists. Like that stuff is good and they're great times, but like the numbers are slightly inflated from like a more average scheme. Yeah, and he's the engine of that offense. Like, I watched the game against Penn, and, like, he's going to do numbers this year. <laughs> Just based on, like, you know, the pace they play and his role in it. Like, this isn't a situation where it's, like, a multiple ball handler thing. From what I've seen, like, he's getting to the rim. It's him. He's the focal point, And everything kind of oh, yeah. branches off that. So, yeah, I mean, his speed... His speed and transition, we talked about him in the preseason pod as far as he wasn't really ready last year. He was one of the youngest players, wasn't old enough to get drafted. He wasn't even draft eligible. So this year, I think he's putting it more together. I've only seen one of their games. I'm obviously going to watch North Carolina um, when we wrap this up, and hopefully he performs well in that setting. But there's a lot to like there, especially in transition, really pushes the pace. 
He knows how to get to the rim. Um, the pull-up hasn't really been there, but he has good shooting inputs. Like, he's pretty good off the catch, I think. I trust his catch and shoot so he can play off the ball a little bit. There's a lot to like. He's he's kind of like Grant Riller. They're, they're not similar players, really, but he, insofar as, like, I like where he's projected to go in this class. I think he's another one of the guards that I think is actually pretty damn good that can be available, like, late round one, early round two that's a get. Is he the player most helped by a change of scheme in this entire class. Like I would imagine that he is um, just in terms of like getting to the right system to accentuate his gifts. Cause he is like this super quick, super fast guy who's now playing maybe the fastest transition based uh, game that we see of any major prospect right now in the country. Like it's him, it's Cole Anthony. Like it's, Um, there's a lot of these guys that, you know, have found really good fits for their game. You know, we can talk about Anthony Edwards in that regard, given how, uh, good Tom Crean is developing these big, strong, you know, guards. Yeah, I think Lewis definitely sticks out amongst that group as far as, you know, Nate Oates being there, pushing the tempo. And what I've seen really just favoring him on the ball and, and, and featuring him. And that's something that, you know, numbers matter a lot and he's going to put up numbers. Not, not to mean he, I'm not trying to diminish his abilities. Like I think he has real NBA skills as far as, you know, Bill get to the basket and, you know, he has enough of a feel for the game to where I think he can make some decisions. He's not like a high level decision maker in my opinion, but especially the way the the NBA game is played now. And if he's going to be, I guess, conservatively a backup point guard, his ability to push the tempo and really get up and down ha- has real value. Hmm. I'll give you the floor. Where do you want to go? Anyone else? Let's go. You haven't watched too much of Paul Reed since last podcast. I just want to note just quickly, his numbers have been ridiculous. I've watched some of the games and I think the tape hasn't been quite as impressive to me. I mean, he's still very good. I mean, I think he's a very, very good college player at the very least. And he's a very real, like late first round prospect. But uh, yeah, he's just someone to track. If you haven't seen DePaul, they're actually pretty fun to watch. So I would recommend that. DePaul's been awesome to watch this year. Like what a, what a weird <laughs> statement to make. Um, but very strange. Uh, DePaul has been super, super enjoyable. Um, I have thoroughly and completely enjoyed everything I've seen from them this year. Paul Reed, but also like Romeo Weems has been really good. Um, you know, Charlie Moore has been better than what I've ever seen him play at the very least. Like I have not been a Charlie Moore guy, uh, going back for a while, but he's been pretty good to start this year. So no, I'm, I am in on watching uh, a lot more to Paul. And I think that Paul Reed is at the point now where, you know, it's certainly a top 40 guy for me. He's probably right at the end of the first round. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and staying in the big East, just really quick. Um, what are your thoughts on any of the Villanova guys? We see some differentiating opinions with um, Jeremiah not, Robinson Earl. Not and, great. <laughs> I will say I'm, I'm kind of intrigued. Like Brian Antoine made that, I think he played one game since he's been back. He actually made a couple flash plays and you just kind of remembered how athletic he is. And he was actually okay as far as control in the half court. He's just someone that I'm sure a lot of people, some people at least have forgotten about just because he didn't play to open the season. And he's actually very interesting to me as, as a prospect long-term. I don't know if he has enough momentum, of course, to be a one and done. I don't know if he's skilled enough, but he's just someone you really should, should watch if he's going to play any kind of rotation minutes. Uh, let me, let me rephrase. Like I actually am a big fan of Brian Antoine, um, but I just really <laughs> did not count him in this because yeah. he's played two games. He's coming off of injury and, a scheme where it really does take a lot of time typically to like get adjusted and figure some things out. And honestly, like I probably like made that like jokey statement too soon because like Sadiq Bay has been pretty good. Yes. Like he's shooting 48% from three again, not sustainable, but you know, when you're doing that and putting up like a three to one assist to turnover and averaging 14 points a game while not doing too much on the floor, like that's a pretty translatable skill. The problem that Villanova has is that I know Colin Gillespie is putting up reasonable numbers. I just don't trust that dude to really do anything against good teams. Yeah, no, I'm 100% with you. I've been, I'm very skeptical of him overall. I think most guys 
really fixated around Robinson Earl as like the main guy right now. Maybe Bay number two, like Cole Swider can shoot and you know, the offensive gifts are there. He's just not good on defense. So I don't know if you can really consider him at least yet. Maybe it's, he's more of like yeah. a multi-year guy if you get there. Yeah. Like it's funny. Like I actually like all of these guys to some extent. Like I think Robinson Earl plays in the NBA and probably plays for a while in the NBA. Um, Sadiq Bay, like I totally buy him as a floor spacer. Uh, Brian Antoine, I'm a big fan of. Cole Swider, even for like a college basketball player, I really like Cole Swider as a college basketball player. Justin Moore, like I think Justin Moore, it within yep. two years is probably going to be an NBA player. Um, it's just there's no glue holding it all together right now because I don't buy into Gillespie being the guy right now. Um, Brian Antoine could come in and become the shot creator that, you know, puts everyone slightly down a spot in the hierarchy and makes everything fit together. And Villanova could very easily go on a run, but they don't have that yet. And I think that that's what, uh, that's, what's kind of holding them back right now. Yeah, and his prospects, I, I just got asked this question recently about Villanova, and I think I, I like a lot of these guys. Like, I think a lot of these guys will play in the NBA. I don't know if there's a real get outside of maybe Antoine, if he can show enough in the skill game in the half court. Like, I like Robinson Earl. Um, I wouldn't be opposed if he went, like, late first, early second. Like, I think he can do some things. Like, mm-hmm. I, I do trust his jump shot aesthetically. I think he's going to be able to shoot it. Uh, short roll, he can pass. Defensively, I don't know r- what his real impact is. I don't think he's, like, a pure switch guy. The lack of length hurts him. Like, some have made, I think Mike Gribbenoff made the Chuma Okiki comparison. I get why he's saying that, but Chuma has that added wingspan. Like, Chuma's really, really long, and Earl just doesn't have that. You know, he can get exploded over the top. He's not... He relies a lot on power offensively still, as, as well as like overwhelming smaller guys in the post. And that's just not going to be available to him at the next level. So he's going to be more of a stretch big. If you buy the shot, I can I can see buying in on him. There's some mock drafts that I've seen that have had him even in the lottery. I don't think that's completely insane. I'm just not that high on him doing anything at, at a very positive level. You really just have to buy the shot as being like sub elite to, to really get there. Yeah, I guess the Robinson Earls like got an even wingspan, doesn't he? I, I just, it might be a little longer than that. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know it's not like Chuma level. Like it, it doesn't pop to you on the screen. It's it's definitely small, and I, I really do think that matters with his like he's, he's got some bounce, but it's not like he's a crazy athlete as far as anything goes. He can move okay, but not great. And when you start to factor all of those into the equation. You just need a longer wingspan with someone like that, usually. Well, you know, with Okiki, like it's they're just very different. Like I actually, whoops, I actually don't think that they're all that comparable. Uh, I think of Robinson a lot more of a big, whereas I think of Okiki as like a guy that's going to defend threes and fours. Um, like Robinson Earl, I think that he has like kind of a short neck because if you look at his um, standing reach, <laughs> like it's actually not bad. Like his standing reach, I think, is like right around eight eleven or so. Um, whereas Okiki is something more in the range of like eight 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 nine. Um, Okiki is longer and a lot more reactive. Robinson Earl is a lot stronger and a much better rebounder, right? Like to me, they're just very different prospects, I think. And like that reactivity that Okiki has is part of why he is so much better as a perimeter defender. Like he just has like a level of twitch that I think Robinson Earl doesn't have. And that's not to say that Robinson Earl isn't a good prospect. I just think they're different. Yeah, that's fair. I, I just think from a projection standpoint, like they're they're kind of similar in what you want them to do. Like more floor spaces on offense. They can, you know, make decisions. They're both cerebral players. I think that's the key takeaway as far as like more like stretch some elements of playmaking at the four and then defensively more team defenders. Like Chuma can't really move his feet that well either. Like he's not a great switch guy. You like him more as like a help side guy. Like that's where he's he does his best work as far as the reactivity there. And I think Robinson Earl is kind of similar to that. Um, as far as he can't impact plays, he doesn't have like Chuma's elite instincts, in my opinion. He definitely doesn't have the length, which hurts him. But just getting at the overall like, kind of intelligence package that comes along with a, more of a four type. I, I, I can get the allure with Robinson Earl again. I just think I, some are definitely higher on him than me as far as impact. Can, can we talk about Miles Powell? Please. What a what a fun player. Like. <laughs> <clears throat> 23 points per game so far this year. Um, Still not a passer, like not even really trying to make a whole lot of plays for his teammates. Like it's not his job to do that. He is 
a gunner and he is going to knock down shots. He is one of the best shooters in the country. Um, look, he's like six, two and like stout and he's lost a lot of weight. So like maybe, you know, teams might have some small concerns about him putting on weight later on, but like he has been just an absolute monster this season because um he's played like four games realistically like they played stony brook and he played four minutes against stony brook um in part because he got that ankle injury but if you look at the four games they've played so far uh 27 points 37 against michigan state and just that like ridiculous performance by the way uh michigan state is getting wrecked by guards right now and that is a significant problem that they have to figure out um between anthony edwards going for 37 tyrese maxey going for 26 and miles powell going for 27 or 37 um they beat uh st louis who is a really good team defensively uh by like 17 and he had 26 in that game with four of 11 from three uh he had 23 against uh, Florida A&M. Like, he's just been ridiculously good and ridiculously consistent as a scorer. Like, we're at the point now where he's averaging. Uh, I want to say that the number is, like, 26 points a game. Yeah, that's not really surprising, honestly. Coming into this season, like, he was one of the best scorers in college basketball, and he really has a diverse shot. He'd come off his screen and knock down an NBA 3 like consistently. And that's something yeah. not a lot of guards can do. He's got a powerful build. He's not like he's got a slight build. I mean, he's pretty well built. I don't know. His defense has always been lackluster to me. And some of that is probably role as far as he has to do everything for them offensively. Like that Michigan state game was absolutely ridiculous. But I, I do think that they're not the same player, but to me, he's something like a Bryn Forbes type potentially in the NBA where it's like, he's out there for his floor space and he can do a little bit more on the ball, even though you don't really want him to, he's probably going to be a defensive negative, but it's really just the shot making and the ability to come off screens, the ability to shoot off the dribble. Maybe he can, you know, initiate some offense and transition where he can take that early, you know, deep like drag screen pull up three or something but i do feel like nba teams are going to buy him more as this process goes along like him and jordan nora they're they're obviously very different players and different roles and schemes but i think you can trust both of those guys to shoot the ball so at a certain point in the draft you're just like who can make a shot and and miles powell's going to be at the top of that list yeah i love the bryn forbes comparison he's going to be like a guy that needs to find the right spot like bryn did but if he does like he's really good i'm intrigued yeah i agree um, and regardless, like I'm going to enjoy watching like the shit out of Seton Hall this year because Miles Powell's on that team. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree. There, th- he's he's very entertaining to watch. Like that Michigan State game, that role that he went on, I think it was in the second half, was just that that was one of the most entertaining parts of the season to me thus far. So four guys sli- flying like slightly under the radar, and this is who we'll end on here: uh, Jamius Ramsey for. Texas Tech, he is averaging a bunch of points. He is scoring a lot, which is great. Uh, They have not played a soul yet this year. Uh, Actually, in the best team that they've played uh, was Tennessee State, and it was Ramsey's worst game of the year. Like, who knows what he is right now? Like, I, I just genuinely do not know what to expect from him yet. Because, like, even in high school, like, I was not, like, a wild fan, as we talked about earlier in the preseason. Yeah, I completely agree. I have, I think I've seen two of their games early in the season, and the competition level was very poor. But Ramsey shot the ball well off the catch from three. Uh, he looks very, I wouldn't say necessarily like fully bankable there, but I do buy his shot off the catch. We'll see how high the ceiling, of course, as far as degree. Polar Fall on Twitter had a really good uh, thread about him, as well as Kyra Lewis, as well. So you can check that out. But I, I'm, I'm buying the ca- Polar Fall. He's probably the best single follow on Twitter. He's brilliant. Like, he does body mechanics breakdowns, like skill breakdowns. I'll shoot you um, his thread after we conclude this podcast. But he, he's a must follow, in my opinion. Okay. I'm, I'm going to have to find this person. I, I demand <laughs> uh, I demand more, uh, more information on this. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it's not that like I don't want to mention him. He's been really good so far this year and is worthy of that mention. Um, but I, I just don't know what to do with him yet as a prospect. Like he's a guy that scouts are very intrigued by for sure. Um, you know, six foot four, powerful build at two hundred pounds already. Like a guy that has a real chance. But the other thing is too, like Texas Tech just fucking overwhelms these teams. 
Like they really do with their athletes and with Chris Beard. Like you put that much athleticism and that high of a level of coaching uh, on the court against these weak, weak um, competition. It's just always going to be a blowout. Yeah. I mean, the execution, just how your program is unreal, frankly, like seeing athletically Ramsey and like Shannon in preseason and like going through that strength and conditioning program. Ridiculous. But I I think overall, I'm I'm more in wait and see like you are like Ramsey's IQ didn't really pop to me in the games that I've watched thus far. Um, I don't know how much he's really going to get to the rim and like create offense for himself. But I I do. I'm at least cautiously buying his catch and shoot ability. I mentioned Shannon. That's another guy to watch. TJ Holyfield's been pretty good for them. And of course, they had transfer Chris Clark, who is very, very old. I, I do enjoy watching him in college. Like I think he's a good college player. But Texas Tech is more of like a wait and see once they start playing better competition. If we're really going to buy into Ramsey is like a late first, even like mid first, if he keeps shooting the ball at such a high rate. But his free throw percentage hasn't been as high either. So I don't know. He's, it's wait and see. I think you summed it up best. Uh, Franz Wagner played for Michigan today. He's a guy that I was pretty intrigued by. Like I probably would have had him in my top 75 or so uh, to start the year. He had an injury, so he missed Michigan's first little set of games here. But uh, I'm intrigued to see where he goes. He had six points. Uh, he made a couple of threes. I think that their first play was to, like get him a corner three-point look, um, and he just absolutely knocked it down. So a uh, ridiculous shooter. Uh, the question is, like, is he athletic enough to consistently deal with the wing defensively? Yeah, and I haven't seen him in probably five months. I watched some of his um, European tape, and I was impressed with the shot. That, that's what I remember most vividly. So I'm going to be looking forward to watching him. I haven't watched a ton of Michigan this year, but we'll watch them today. So uh, I'll have updated thoughts probably on the next podcast for that. So we, uh, we talk about Isaiah Joe a lot on this podcast, but uh, Mason Jones is his teammate at Arkansas. Uh, six foot six, but a little bit more of like a power athlete, whereas Isaiah Joe is just a super skilled shooter. Uh, he has been awesome to start the year. Like he's initiating a lot of their actions. He is um, honestly like probably a more impactful college player right now than Joe is. Um, yeah. Like just because he has that like physical strength and skill. Uh, do we think Mason Jones is a real prospect at all? I do. I, I really do. I, I don't know to what degree yet, but from what I've seen, I really like as far as he can really shoot the ball like he can shoot from deep range off the dribble. He can shoot off the catch like his free throw shooting has been unreal this year. I think he's got good touch, good craft around the basket. Like he's not a great leaper and he's not uh, he's not this dynamic, dynamic athlete, but he's a little craftier than he gets credit for on offense. And he competes from what I've seen defensively. Like Arkansas, they haven't played a lot of great teams this year, clearly, but I, I feel like they've been pretty good defensively. And that's something that a lot of people might not have expected with like Gafford gone, for example, and like that rim protection. But I feel like their perimeter defense has really held up and I think Mason Jones if you look at like some of the impact metrics like BPM for example like I, I feel like he he's usually on those lists and that there's probably a reason for that yeah no I agree I think he's like a very real prospect like maybe a top 100 guy for me already even though Arkansas has not played anybody um, and like he was kind of <laughs> off the radar to start the year like that's actually a pretty big jump yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, and then the last guy is Tyrell Terry at Stanford. Stanford has been one of the most improved teams in the country, I think. And it is in large part because of Terry. Uh, he is their point guard. He's very small. He's like 6'1", 170 pounds. But he's an elite shooter and a terrific ball mover. And having both of those skills is exactly what Stanford needed last year. Like they just needed someone to come in and kind of put everyone into slightly better uh, roles than what they were in previously. Yeah, I love the kid. I love watching him play. Um, I think he's going to be at the very least in time one hell of a college player like he's just really smart really skilled uh his deceleration to get into his pull-up is really nice like his sh jump shot mechanics are gorgeous like he can shoot from nba three he can get it off quickly he knows how to move without the ball pretty well like i haven't been like overwhelmed with him there but i i think he has shows a good feel he's just tiny man you see him getting golfed at times trying to drive like against butler last night i believe it was like the game winning play like he just got completely swallowed up on a drive and he probably should have kicked it out so it wasn't a great decision but i i think what you noted about his decision making he really knows how to play he knows how to pick his spots and that's something that 
you know, is a revelation with a lot of this freshman guard class who just seems to kind of like do things <laughs> on their own agenda, take pull ups when they shouldn't at times. And, and they don't know exactly how to attack and when to attack. And that's something that Terry just has in spades. It was unfortunately, I mean, if he was six, four, six, five, like we'd be having a very, very real conversation right now. He's just very small. Well, yeah, like Terry played on um, the same AAU team as Matthew Hurt and Zeke Naji. So like a lot of the time he was just not the guy, right? So he really actually just figured out how to play and how to distribute and how to make quick decisions while also being someone that was like very genuinely a floor spacer, right? Like he just needed to be able to shoot to kind of clear out yep. space for those guys to operate inside, right? So it's a skill set that really has developed very nicely exactly for what Stanford needs. Like, honestly, like his role on this Stanford team is bigger than the role that I saw him play when he was playing AAU because <laughs> they asked him to like actually create stuff. And like, that was just not um, as much what he was doing in AAU. Like he certainly did it. He was their point guard and like he would initiate, but it was different, right? Like he is, higher up the hierarchy on the Stanford team and the Stanford team's really good. Um, they're one of, like I said, the most improved teams in college basketball, I think. And, um, it is in large part due to, uh, Tyrell Terry coming in and being able to make, uh, everything just kind of fit better. Yeah, I totally agree. And shout out to Francis on Twitter, who actually sent me a DM earlier this year before the season started saying, you got to watch this kid. And I, I've been pretty impressed. Like, I think we should watch him very carefully to see if he's still gross, if he how much strength he can add. He's almost surely not a one and done. We can we can no. say that he's, just, yeah. he's not going to have the momentum. But when teams see him shoot in person, like it's going to be a conversation that they have, because this guy like I, I really like uh, Trey Mann coming into the season. He's shooting like I thought Trey Mann would shoot. Not saying like anything else in their games. Like I, I know that Tyrell was, was a smarter player, but he can shoot the shit out of the basketball. Totally agree, Cole. Uh, is there one more person you want to mention before we get out of here? Actually, for once, there's not. I think we covered everybody. We did it. What a shocker! <laughs> this is amazing. We've we've accomplished our goals here, Cole. Uh, tell the people where they can find your work. Yeah, as usual at thestepin.com. Don't have anything new right now, but we should have some new content coming up. I'm sure Mike and Ross, for example, will have kind of post-tournament big boards up at some point. So check that out and continue to listen to this podcast. Go uh, read The Stepian. Go rate, review, and subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, go rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as much as anything. Um, like I mentioned on the last podcast, we are going to do something of a mailbag where if you leave us questions with five-star reviews attached, we will answer those questions on a podcast at some point in the future. So I'm just going to keep plugging that. Um, please leave us some questions, uh, anything that you have on this NBA draft, anything you have on movies. Cause you know, like I said, like I missed the Duke game to go watch Charlie's angels last night, which was by the way, pretty fun. It was pretty fun. Um, so please, uh, go on ahead and do that. And until next time we will talk soon.